everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Jashar Rents. He's the spouse of Dr. Brooke A.Z. Rents. Uh, he's the actual CEO of Alpine Integrated Medicine. And he's also on the leadership council of the Institute for Natural Medicine. In this interview, I sit down with him and we discuss why naturopathic business owners need to take a more business owner approach to the to building their practice. We discussed different business models and a concierge servicing model that uh, he and his wife, Dr. Brooke, uh, have instituted and how that has affected uh, their bottom line as well as how it affected their patients. We go into different marketing ideas and we end up talking about 1099 versus W-2 employees and how that affects the practice. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jashar Rents. Hey, Jashar, I so appreciate you hopping on hopping on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Especially uh, with the sunshine finally out here in Seattle, right? Ooh, well, as the audience doesn't know, I just had to turn my computer around because there was so much sun behind me that you couldn't see my face when I was when I was facing the window. So now the sunlight is illuminating me. <laughs> Normally, we need to face the window because we need we need whatever light we can get. But we finally right. got enough light today. So, well, you know, I, we had your wife on um, a couple. You know, it must have been probably five or six episodes ago again, and then you and I connected, and you are the CEO of Alpine Integrated Medicine, as right. well as you're a part of the Institute for Natural Medicine. So like you're a big part of naturopathic medicine, at least here locally and, and even nationally from the standpoint of helping naturopathic doctors with their business. We've been doing this now for a while. And it's funny because I, I wouldn't necessarily self-describe that way, but it is sort of, you get involved with a lot of people as you, um, as you get into this, this business and, 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 you know, my background being in the field of education, it was a nice segue to get involved with the Institute of Natural Medicine through their residency program. And I sit on their uh, leadership advisory council. Um, so we meet regularly and they do a lot of great work in the industry, trying to raise awareness about um, the, the capabilities of naturopathic medicine and also do some fundraising to help, um, you know, programs within naturopathic medicine so yeah they're, uh, they're big in the residence they're big in the residency aspect i, I believe if I'm, I'm, I'm not mistaken correct yeah so uh you know michelle simon the president of that organization and myself and dr brooke who you already mentioned mm -hmm. uh and gary garcia who is the director of the residency kind of operations over at bastier university we came together a few years ago and developed this what we are trying to, to have as, as you know a new model of residencies and currently even though we're still i think in the growth phase uh we're the largest single residency organization for naturopaths in the country which is pretty cool yeah, I, I forget who I was speaking to the other day. It was, it was a naturopathic doctor on the East Coast. This was in Jersey. And they're talking about the, you know, the residency program that they're trying to, to get really kind of started over there. And right. I brought up Dr. Simon and, and the INM, like, right. hey, you guys might want to might want to connect because they're, you know, they're doing something right. Right. Well, we got into it because of um so I, I 
you know, a small backtrack, right? But we got into it because my background, not being in naturopathic medicine, coming into the clinic as someone who was doing the non-doctor operations here, um, I maybe had a fresh perspective because I wasn't part of that industry right away. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of, you know, stuff with our business that maybe people wouldn't have just thought about because maybe they were entrenched in the medical school training or in the naturopathic community as it existed. And so what we're seeing was a lot of folks that were trying to start practices struggling. And I'm seeing it all over social media that they didn't feel like their business training was very good. Uh, so we thought, hey, maybe we could integrate um, more business acumen into the residency experience to try to help, you know, new docs succeed um, with the career aspect of this, not just with the treating patients aspect. Right. Right. Which, which is why I wanted you on, on the episode, because like you bring that business acumen, I think it's specifically Alpine integrated medicine and now I and M to the naturopathic doctor world. And I'm, I'm going to quote you here on the INM website, um, which I, I think will really kind of guide our conversation today. And this is something I've been talking about, at least since I started working with naturopathic doctors about two years ago. But, you know, I'm not a naturopathic doctor. I don't own a practice. So, you know, it, it's very difficult for me to speak into it as well as you can. And the quote that I'll say here is, so you said, well, it's true that we need excellent physicians guiding the field of naturopathic medicine. It's also true that we need shrewd business-minded people guiding the development of the business of naturopathic medicine. Yeah. The, the part of that that I think is most important is that it's also true because sometimes when we, when we talk about it, when I talk to with doctors and, you know, do a little consulting here and there, or just have conversations with colleagues, um, you know, they, there's sometimes a, an adversarial relationship between thinking about things that are going to help your business bottom line versus thinking about what great patient care looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that it doesn't have to be an either or, it doesn't have to be an adversarial conversation. I think it really is a, a, a both and like conversation, right? You have to, and, they, and they, they feed into each other, right? Because if you don't have a successful business model, then you're probably not generating the patient volume that you need to develop and maintain the expertise that you really desire as a practitioner. So they do feed into each other, right? And it's, it's difficult to get there. I mean, even in, in my world, right? Like there's still that bottom, like we still have the same arguments, right? Because in my world, we, we don't want to come across as, as sales people, right? We, we right. want to make sure that we're, we're coming across, at least for me, holistic financial planning, where I'm helping people get what they want in life financially so they can actually live that life, right? right. And in naturopathic medicine, you have the same kind of battles, just a different battle where you're battling maybe myths, Mm -hmm. right? Just like I'm battling, like people thinking I'm some sales greedy type of person. That's about the doctors are battling the myths associated with them. Those myths that I once had, and they're battling actually having a business that's successful. And they're battling that, that sales mentality too. You know, I think the, the other challenge for naturopaths that want to be more business savvy is they have to like tackle that conversation of how much, you know, sales am I really doing here? Right. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, there are folks who, for instance, as an example, right. Uh, a supplement dispensary is a, a, a thing that a lot of naturopathic clinics use to create an additional margin uh, of revenue 
And at the same time, they do it ethically because they want to have products that help their patients. So it's something that is, is it technically sales? I mean, yes, you have a dispensary, you have a retail operation where you are selling product to a person, right? But is it sales in the sense of like Amazon where you're just selling anything? No, you have a filter, you have an ethical, um, you know, filter as well as a quality filter for the, for those products maybe. And you think that they meet with your, uh, your overall goals for your business. And so you integrate that into the business as a way to generate revenue, right? So a revenue generating tool is, in my opinion, only really good if it has a strong affinity with the core values and operation of your business. Um, Contrary to that would be the idea of just bringing in something into your business because you think it's just going to make money. Hmm. So that it's like, it's the, the reason that you do that is really the key, right? Do you develop a program that for the purpose of helping patients that has the ancillary benefit of making money, or are you just doing something because you're trying to up the dollars? I think that reason matters a lot. 100%. I'd like to, to backtrack a little bit here because, you know, you and, and your wife, Dr. Brooke have this successful naturopathic um, practice and there are plenty of naturopathic doctors that don't have a successful practice or maybe have even failed out. Right. It's, it's not an easy world to, to be in. What, if you can give a little bit of background, like what do you think had you all succeed? Like what are things that you're doing that you see other naturopathic doctors maybe not doing? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. I wonder if it's not, I wonder if it's not like, I wonder if it's not what we're doing necessarily as different. There's a lot of really good doctors, right? That aren't necessarily making it. I wonder if it's been more about consistency than anything else. Sometimes growth happens in different ways, right? In businesses. And for us, because we started with nothing, right? We didn't start with a big investment or a big account fund or, you know, money to start with. We started really from the ground and built. And because of that, you know, what we needed to see was just kind of like consistent growth And that happens through uh, two things. It happens through being growth oriented in your thinking. And I know that's a broad umbrella to maybe dig into more, but it's about being growth oriented. And it's, you know, it's about um, trying to um, be consistent as consistent as you can in terms of the various aspects of your business, specifically around outreach and marketing. You know, one of the things, um, I guess a side note about that before diving back into to the other ideas is just, you know, with your marketing, people will market when they're, when they're not busy. They'll market when they're slow. Maybe someone's starting out, they do a lot of marketing because they're not seeing a lot of patients. They have all these hours to spend on marketing. Well, what happens when you cross that threshold of seeing a moderate amount of patients and then you feel busy, you don't feel like you have the time to do the marketing, you don't do the marketing, the patients fall off and you end up in this sort of like cyclical pattern of being only about 30% full, right? Whereas if you do the marketing consistently and you make time for that, even as you're growing right now, right? I think the best time to market is when you're busier, Right. Because then you're setting yourself up for when those natural lulls happen, that you're going to your marketing is going to kick in and you're going to have more um, uh, consistent uh, revenue and consistent sort of fullness. Right. Of your schedule. 
it's funny you bring that up because the exact same thing happens in my industry. Like I actually coach several advisors and as I'm talking to them, they're doing the exact same thing you just said, where essentially they get really busy. What do you think they stop doing? They stop marketing. Right. And then they get really slow and then they start marketing again. Right. And it becomes this, this roller coaster ride. There's an implementation dip in when you start marketing and when you see the results. So if you wait to be slow to market, then there is this period of time that you're just slow. Yep. Whereas if you're marketing consistently, you're marketing at the good times, then those, those lulls happen. You're already seeing the benefit of marketing, right? There's a delay. Yeah. So it, come, it be, really becomes like the, the way that we, depending on the practice, right? It, it becomes a coaching around, okay, scheduling out your day. And when is it you're going to be doing the marketing during that day or during the week, right? Like, mm-hmm. and being consistent about it and you have to be proactive about yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about being found is being consistent. And, uh, you know, you have to, you have to really understand how SEO works. I think at at a basic level, you don't have to be like a tech expert, right? I'm not a tech expert, Um, but I understand how basic SEO works and how you're found on the internet. And I could use that knowledge to, even as a small business without paying anybody, tailor um, my SEO so that we're attracting the kind of people we want. So let me give you an example of that. Like um, one of the things that is smart with, I think our marketing is we will use a, say a Google ad, right? Which then you can mine the data from. You can see what search terms people are inputting that are hitting your ad or what are the most common search phrases in a particular area. You can do the same thing with uh, a page in Google called Google trends. And when you figure out the language that people are using to try to find the services that you offer, then you start building that language into your SEO tags. Uh, and, and that is a, 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 an iterative process that requires reflection and change. It's not a static thing where you do it one time and everything's great. You have to constantly be going back and looking at your website data, looking at how many new people are coming to your site, looking at what pages they go to, thinking about the search phrases that they use, and then using that information to, to hone and tailor uh, your SEO experience so that you can be found as easily as possible. Yeah, the, the marketing plan, including like SEO, that, that's huge. And it's building it like you have to take take the doctor hat off, right? And mm-hmm. put the marketing hat on, right? Because right. as you're building, especially when you're starting from scratch, you're wearing every hat from the janitor yep. to the CEO, to the CFO, to the actual doctor. And let's right. just face it, naturopathic doctors are going to school to learn to be a doctor. <laughs> They're not learning to be the CFO or the marketing right? The marketing professional CMO. Right. So for you all, like you, you and Dr. Brooke, like it, it sounds like you've brought really that business hat to the practice. What, when it comes to business models, you and I spoke earlier and you were talking about a concierge service. Like you guys have really, you guys have really transitioned your model. Talk a little bit about that model sure. and where that came from. Sure. Yeah. Um, in the naturopathic industry in the naturopathic medical field, um, we are, our, our doctors are paid less by the insurance industry than their medical doctor, their MD, conventional medicine counterparts by a little bit. Yep. In addition, because naturopaths tend to see patients for a little bit longer, they, they see fewer visits per day than a conventional MD might see. 
because rather than going broad, they're going deep into fewer patients, right? Um, but the insurance billing associated with that is usually per visit, although there are some time coding things that you can do. Um, typically what that does is that lower volume of patients results in less billables from the insurance industry. So that affects your bottom line. So if you're going into a practice and you're encouraging broad-based growth, means you probably wanna accept insurances because you're gonna be seen by more people that way, right? But when you accept those insurances, uh, how do you then make ends meet or make the business profitable when the system is already paying you a little less and the nature of your care is seeing a, a lower volume of patients, right? Um, people do that in different ways. A very common way that people do that is they stop taking insurance completely and they go to a cash only practice. If you go see that, that naturopath, you're going to pay, you know, whatever, 400 bucks in cash for the office visit or whatever. Um, that is something that they can then control the price per unit. Whereas in an insurance model industry, the price per unit per visit is really capped, right? By your insurance contract. If I can charge cash, then it's only capped by my imagination or desire to charge more. What you want to charge, exactly. Right. Um, however, when you do that, you hamstring your broad-based growth because there are fewer people that are willing to pay that larger price out of pocket, especially in a world and a culture in our country where most people are required to have insurance. Um, so we didn't wanna charge cash for everything. Um, we had the insurance industry challenge. And so what we decided to do was move to a hybrid model that it, we researched for a, a, quite some time um, to look at different options. And then we kind of developed this, put it through legal, and then rolled out this program that was really pretty new at the time, which kind of a hybrid concierge model where we're building insurance for people's care, but we are um, delineating the the things that we do as a clinic that it is not covered or reimbursed by insurance that we couldn't bill them for. And we are packaging all that up and saying in order to get access to that stuff that insurance is not paying for, there is an additional out-of-pocket monthly cost that is pretty small. Uh, at the baseline, it's 25 bucks a month. So compare that to like a direct primary care model that doesn't use insurance. You're still required to pay your high insurance premiums, but maybe you're being charged several hundred dollars a visit or several hundred dollars a month. Whereas in this case, it can be a smaller out-of-pocket amount for the patient to access the extra care and let the insurance pay for the care that it's already paying for. Uh, that allows us to kind of have the best of both worlds, to have a little bit longer visits, uh, to go a little deeper with patients. And then we monetize all of the stuff that we can't bill for through this uh, service that looks kind of like a subscription, but legally speaking, it's not a subscription. It's really more of a, a, a charge for non-billable services. Yeah, I mean, when you when you mentioned the model, it, the model makes complete sense because as a doctor, if you're only charging what the insurance company is paying, right? There's so many other things that naturopathic doctors do right. that they weren't getting compensated for. And it's so valuable that mm -hmm you just broke it apart and say, okay, well, this is what you get with the insurance and they're going to pay for that. And that's other stuff that we do that is extremely valuable. If you wanted, this is what that, that fee would be as well. And, and to your point, it becomes um, not a sales pitch because yep. it's perfectly okay in our business 
to say to somebody, hey, you know, it's okay if you don't want this. It's okay. There's plenty of, you can go to the emergency room or a conventional doctor and be seen for 10 minutes and, and be on your merry way. And, and if that's what you want, then that's what the insurance industry is designed to pay for. Please, you know, you can, you can access that. For those people that want a little bit more humanity in their medical care, you can't bill for humanity. You know, uh, you can't bill for things like um, capping your patient roster so that you can be more available and have shorter wait times for patients, right? I can't bill the insurance for patients that I'm not taking because I want to give more time to these other patients, right? That's, there's no code for that. Um, however, that that is valuable, right? You can't bill for priority scheduling time. If someone wants to come in on their lunch break, right? Because they work really hard and they're a business person, they're in meetings all day and all they can get in is on a lunch break. Well, I can't bill a code for that. Right. But that is certainly very valuable. Um, and so that plus enhanced communication, plus other value that we build in, it's a pretty complex program. But the baseline is we're doing more than what insurance pays for. And so therefore, there's a value for patients. We monetize that with a uh, an affordable sort of subscription esque model. And to get there, I can just I can. I'm picturing myself as a, as a naturopathic doctor or even really as a financial planner. Yeah. And you haven't it's hard to take that next step in terms of getting paid for what the value you're bringing. It's, it's a mindset issue, right? So going back to the growth oriented piece that you started to speak into it, it can be difficult to switch that brain, that side of your brain on. Yeah. Do you do that naturally? I mean, I do it because I wasn't thinking about it from a doctor patient perspective. So I was, mm -hmm. I was thinking about it from a, what's a creative business solution that we could implement that would be fair. You know, uh, the thing is, is that when you, when you make decisions in a business, they come from a premise, they, they're based on a, the premise from which you are building the business. And for some companies, that premise is, and for a lot of businesses, and there's nothing wrong with this in a capitalist society, right? Uh, the premise is just to make as much money as possible. Sure. Like that really is the undergirding principle. And if that's your undergirding principle, you'll make certain decisions, right? Mm -hmm. um, if your undergirding principle is we really truly do want to provide the best possible care to somebody, then like we make less money as a clinic than we probably could or should if we were run by a board of corporate executives that were only focused on maximizing profit. We sacrifice a, 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 a measure of our margin because our mission is, because we're, we're, we're making ends meet, you know, we don't need to be greedy. And the goal is to do right by patients. And that's what keeps the business sustainable and moving forward long-term too, right? And to take it a step further, and this is something I always bring up and, and I'll, I'd love to hear, maybe I'm wrong in bringing this up, uh, and my point is, is the more successful your naturopathic practice is, financially speaking, that means you're spreading the word of naturopathic medicine that much stronger. Mm -hmm. And so far, my experience with naturopathic doctors, and maybe it's across Americans in general, but let's just specifically naturopathic doctors money's taboo. It's like, you know, I remember my first conference that I went to and I had a, a, a young lady come up to me and she goes, why is a financial planner here? We don't make any money. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me as odd as <laughs> you, you it's like shoot it. yourself right in the foot. <laughs> like, well, you're not going to make money with that attitude in my opinion. Right. And, and then two, to spread the word, mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to be successful. 
Right. You also have to be there for long term. I was told this similar thing by a patient that was like, hey, it's okay to say I'm charging, you know, what you're what we're charging, because ultimately, we need to create a situation that allows us to still be there for you in 10 years. And if I go broke because I am not thinking about the fiscal elements of my business now, I'm not there to take care of you in 15 years. <laughs> exactly, right? So like we have to, we have to, the naturopathic world has got to have more of that business-minded mindset. Right. Not for the, po- the, not for the, like, I'm not ta- talking about being greedy. I'm right. talking about just being successful to get the message out there. Right. And so- if I could just maybe pivot to um, employee hire, mm-hmm. right? Because one naturopathic doctor, if you're going to build a, a, a practice that's sellable, right. normally you got to bring on other doctors. Correct. And as you grow and, and you're making more profit, right? You're going to be expanding. Patients are coming in, you're growing. You're going to need to hire other doctors, right? As well to, to, to manage the patient needs, right? Right. And so my question to you is this, um, there are many uh, naturopathic doctors that I see that essentially have a 1099 structure where essentially they, they bring on these other doctors and they're essentially renting, renting a space to them. Correct. Right. Rather than bringing on a doctor and having them be a true W2 employee. Correct. And helping them grow from that standpoint. So you all, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, have that W2 type model and I, as I talk to this with many doctors, they'll go, oh yeah, the W-2 model makes more sense, but they're all doing 1099, or at least a lot of them are still doing that 1099 structure. How did you all get over that? And, and how did that all come about? Yeah, this is a huge topic in our industry, because as you said, very accurately, many, many owners of clinics that start to bring on new staff, bring them on as uh, independent contractors through some sort of 1099 or, or whatever, like you said, right? So we, we use the phrase IC or independent contractor. Sure. And there are, there's reasons you do that, right? Uh, there's reasons you don't do that. I think a good reason to do that would be you're starting, you're new, and you don't have the money to pay a salary. So you want to let someone grow on their own and you don't, you can't afford to overpay them for work they haven't done yet early on. To me, that's probably the only reason why you should think about doing an independent contractor. Because once you can afford to pay that salary directly and grow that person, the advantages of having an employee far outweigh the advantages, uh, the, the money that you may think you save from having a contractor. The most challenging thing about um, the employee versus contractor split, in my view, is the in Washington state specifically, I'm sure that, that, that employment law is different in different states. So I'll just speak to what I know about, which is the Washington um, Administrative Code, uh, defines an independent contractor such that if I have an independent contractor, I can't, I can control the work product, but I can't control the work process. This is something that is just so big and so massive. Uh, Technically, and this is something that like, there's a gray area here where I will just say, in my opinion, there are a lot of places, not a lot, there's a a few places out there that are using independent contractors in a way that I would consider not defensible legally. If, uh, if, If I were to be sued by one of them doing that as a business owner, based on how these folks are using these contractors, 
I personally would not be able to argue that I wouldn't that they weren't controlling the process of their work. If I make them use an EMR, if I am making them attend staff meetings, if I'm you know um, having them do communication a certain way, uh, those are all gray areas that could indicate that I am controlling the process of their work and not just the product of their work. Um, so there's legal challenges with that. But the biggest thing is if I'm a clinic. And I have multiple providers um, and they're all independent contractors. Patient comes into you as the doctor. You're an independent contractor. Let's say I'm better at like digestive issues and you're great at thyroid stuff or we'll just make it stuff up, right? Sure. This patient comes into you and they start talking about digestive issues. And you know that I'm way more experienced with that. You know, in your heart that the patient would have a better experience seeing me right? Just next door in the, in the office next door. But you don't do that. Why don't you do it? Because if you do that, you will not get the billable revenue from that visit. Yep. You are monetarily incentivized in an independent contractor model to compete and therefore not give the patient what they need. I'm not saying that independent contractors do that. I'm saying that they're monetarily incentivized to do it, which means it's probably happening to some degree. In an employment model, I don't have the competition with you. If I have someone come into me for digestion and they're talking about thyroid, I'll talk to them about di di digestion. I'll bill that visit. And then I'll send them over to you to talk about the thyroid. Not only will we get more billable visits, two instead of one for the overall company, which helps us both instead of just one person, the patient is getting what they need. And the patient is feeling like there's a team of people that are looking out for them as opposed to just one person. So there's a lot of benefits in that situation. And I think that stems from the employment model. The downside of the employment model is if uh, you bring on a new provider and they don't come up to speed in terms of their billables, then you're losing a lot of money on them, at least in the short term. And in fact, with every employment situation, you tend to lose money on the short term and make money on the back end. Right. Whereas in a contractor situation, you make money on, you save cost on the short term, and then they make more money on the back end, and you don't. So it's kind of like not great, in my opinion, for you. As a, you, you say, you get some tax savings, but I think they're they're overshadowed by um, so many of the other benefits. Plus, if the employee is an employee, I know I'm going way too far on this. Sorry, I'll wrap up with this. If an employee is an employee, then you're paying into all of the benefits that are important to them from a societal standpoint, social security and, and uh, paid leave, right? If you're an independent contractor, you don't get paid leave. You take leave and then you don't get paid because if you're not seeing patients, you're not making revenue, you're not making your percentage, you don't get paid, right? Um, when the pandemic hit, uh, because we had a payroll with W-2 employees that was significant, we qualified for uh, a, a good, solid PPP loan. Whereas if you didn't have people on the payroll and you pay them as independent contractors, the PPP funding amount was based on your overall payroll, which means you didn't have any, which means you didn't get any help. So there's a whole bunch of reasons, I think, to kind of like do it by the book is how I would say it. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, I, I just opened a whole lot of can of worms there. Sorry. Well, I brought up the can of worms, right? Because this, I, I already knew that this was the conversation. And 
the thing that gets me, it doesn't get me actually, I understand it, right? Because I brought on advisors and right. And you expect a certain, I'll use production or revenue stream that, that hopefully they come in the door. Obviously I'm going to give the advisor like overflow from, from my book. And, and the same thing I'm sure is true in a naturopathic doctor world, but you have to then hope that that doctor also brings in business. And I think that's where you have to be in it for the long haul. It can't be a short-term thing. And I, I see a lot of turnover from that standpoint. And I think that that's an issue number one. And then issue number two that I've seen is you have to have the retention plans in place, keeping those doctors so that maybe they're, I mean, maybe they buy you out later on, right? Like everyone, every doctor I talk to wants to own their own practice and maybe sell it one day, except they're not building a sellable business. Yeah. That's the end game. We'll, we should talk about that in another episode because there's a whole end game strategy in place like that. You're right. exactly right. And so there's retention strategies that most NDs are not looking at. You know, to be fair, again, they're not business minded. They're doctors. I get right. it. Right. But from a cult, like there's other medical professions out there that do have this more solidified. And I wish the naturopathic doctor world would start to have not to go from a medical standpoint, that direction I'm talking about from a business standpoint. So you succeed, thrive, spread your message stronger. You can brand better too. I think, you know, if I have a bunch of employees, we're branding the experience of Alpine integrated medicine. I'm not branding, although Dr. Brooke is the biggest draw for the clinic, you know, um, although we're not branding her, right? We're not branding Dr. Brooke, right? We're Mm -hmm. branding like Brooke's doing the great work. And then they're hearing Alpine integrated medicine, right? Because we want, and that's why when we have a provider leave to your point about staff turnover, we have a provider leave. We don't see a lot of patient attrition because patients are used to associating the care they get with this program that we have cultivated painstakingly, right? It's not just one part of the program. One person leaves, the program's still here, right? And so that hopefully combined with potentially owning commercial real estate leads to that end game point where maybe you can sell it off to uh, some of your staff later on that want to take that next step too. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of naturopathic doctors who had 1099 or maybe even some W-2 employees and the W-2 employees up and left and started their own practice and then took their patients with them. Yeah. And this, to your point, was due to branding. Yeah. Or the 1099s. Yeah. Because well, the W2s, because the yeah. W2s left and did the exact yeah. same thing too. Well, because you have clauses like that, that say you can't solicit to patients in your contract. But if you're an independent contractor, they're your patients, right? I can even solicit. as a W2 though, yeah. and this is this is where the language and this is where it's hard right. to sue for, for, right? It's hard to do it. But the fact is, is if it wasn't the branding, if right. the patient was really with the doctor. Right. Then they search the doctor, they find where the doctor goes. And they then they go with go. Yeah, because exactly. you can't. And, and in fact, if patients call us when a doctor goes somewhere, we actively tell them where the doctor is. It is really uh, an ethical point for us that sure. it's important to make sure the patient can get wherever they need to go. Yep. But to your point, if you brand the organization, then that's what they're searching for, right? They're not, they're not, they're not even trying to necessarily they don't want to leave. They don't, they're not trying to go somewhere else. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's vitally important. All of this, I think I'd like to sum up today's episode and is around really understanding the business, the numbers, what it is you're building, putting that business owner hat on for the sake of actually growing 
and and actually financially succeeding a successful naturopathic clinic. Yeah, I agree. And that begins to your point with setting the goals of where you ultimately want to go. What is fiscal success for you, right? Because Mm -hmm. maybe you don't just want to grind every dollar, right? But you want a certain level of success. And what is, as they would say in leadership school, what's your current reality? Right. What where, where are you really right now and how far what, where's the gap between those two things? And then what is your plan to close that gap? It may take a couple of years, but you need to execute that plan. Right. And that's that business hat. It's a business hat. So like have mentors, reach out to people, reach out to professions that, you know, a bookkeeper, like have those people there because you need it. You need an army around you. You can't do it on your own. Like early on, you're doing it on your own. I get it. But you, as, as you're becoming successful, you need to bring these other people into your life because that's only going to help you grow even further. Yep. hundred percent. Awesome. Jashar, thank you so much for being on. I I so appreciate your time. And uh, I think we're gonna have to have you back on to talk about the end game. Well, you can tell I love to talk. So I'll bring my fish (laughs) hat and we'll, we'll get her done. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Take care. And I appreciate uh, being able to come on and share. Appreciate it. Okay. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC, OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850. Portland, Oregon, 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924, Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806, Pinpoint Number 2022140448, Expiration July 2024.